Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome to what I am still going to insist on calling the January Arsenal Women Arsecast Mailbag Edition. Even though it's coming out in early February, we are pretty much talking everything that happened in January. So I will call it the January Mailbag Edition uh, with your host, Tim Stillman. And with me, as ever, is Alex Ibaceta. Alex, how are you doing? Yeah, good. I think it kind of still feels like January because for some reason, January just decided to last for years and years. But it's February now, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and well, before we get um, stuck into the listener questions, which, as usual, we have lots and lots of, um, I guess I just wanted to ask your your overall pin- opinion on Arsenal's January transfer business. So to recap, quite a bit of turnover, actually, especially in defence. So leaving the club all on loan, Vicky Schneiderbeck to Spurs, albeit her contract ends at the end of the season. So that's her Arsenal career done. Anna Patton on loan to Aston Villa. Don't think her Arsenal career is necessarily done yet. Um, Taya Goldie out on loan to Watford. And that's obviously very much a development move because she's 17. Coming in, Laura Weinreuter uh, from Hoffenheim, uh, back up right back. Uh, Rafaeli Souza, a Brazilian international centre-half. And we have an exclusive interview with Rafaeli on Blog News for you at the moment, which you can check out right now. Um, and probably the biggest headline grabber, Stina Blackstinius from Hacken in Sweden. So three in, three out. Alex, what did you make of the January transfer business, both in, in terms of um, the quality of the players that are coming in, but maybe what it says about Jonas's plans for the squad? I they were really interesting. Um, we obviously spoke about it before, about having a bit more reinforcement in the defensive line, and I think we got that quite decently. Um, I didn't know much about Rafaela before she came in, um, but was it last week? Uh, she played next to Lee Williamson, and I thought that actually worked quite well. Um, I think the biggest difference that she brings 
in comparison to say a, a Jen B, a Vicar Schneiderback or a Lotta. Um, she has really, her athleticism is very similar, more similar to Leah's than anybody, anybody else's. Um, she has, and she has, maybe it's a South American thing, but she has that, that kind of extra little feistiness of going for a 50, 50 challenge that she knows going to win. She's going to put her, her body first. Um, and just, I think Arsenal did need that, that little wake up kind of fierce and, and really good player. And obviously she's experienced to not say another word. Um, and you can tell she's, she's really smart and, and kind of cutting off the passes. So I think that's been the most impressive signing for me right now, just because you saw almost an immediate impact in what she's going to bring to Arsenal. Um, but then obviously, you know, Cena Blackstenius, that's, that was the headline um, kind of name, but I don't think that's going to be an immediate impact as much as people hoped. Um, I think what she's used to playing in the systems that she's used to playing in the cultures that she's used to playing in. Um, I think they're quite different from what there is at Arsenal. So I think there is going to be kind of a bit of an adjustment time. Um, so I think those two were kind of my, my highlights for completely different re- reasons, obviously, but it is, it is an exciting prospect and maybe we could have done with one more signing in the attacking sense, but um, overall, I think it was quite decent. And you, and you you start to feel that Jonas is kind of getting a grasp of what he wants to do and what he's planning on doing with the players that he has. Um, obviously, Laura is, is a young player from Hoffenheim who we know that developed players really, really well. And and from that, I think she is ready to take the next step, but I think she does need to adjust a bit more to England and a different level of of playing. I wouldn't. I think level is a bad word because you know Hoffenheim is still playing the Champions League. You know they play; they're in contention for the Bundesliga title right now. But the way that they play and the way that Arsenal play in England also is a, it's a big adjustment. She is quite young, um, but yeah, I think I think Rafaele right now is is the headline, and then obviously Stina can come into that a bit later. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, um, you know, I, I know a lot less about Laura Weinreuter and I think you're right. She's going to be back up to Noel Maritz as well. So I think, you know, ease her in uh, ideally in the second half of the season and rotate her with, with Noel. Maybe at the moment for the, the games against the kind of weaker teams, I think that's still very much Noel's spot. Um, Stinner, I, I, I kind of agree. I think that's another one where maybe for the second half of the season, that's about her you know, kind of acclimatising, I guess. Um, and obviously because Viv's there at the moment, we don't know yet whether um, whether she'll be there next season. And I stress again, that is undecided um, uh, for, for, for Viv. Um, so, you know, it could be that Viv isn't there next year and therefore Stina Blackstinius becomes like our, our first choice striker, which I think would be a good replacement anyway, if that's what happens. And if it doesn't, then Arsenal have got two really good strikers. And I, I think that's a win-win really. But I agree. I think Stinner's impact in the second half of the season will be about settling her in. Hafaeli is, is a, a really strong signing. I think 30 years old, international player, ready to come to Europe now. Profile-wise, she's big, she's strong, she's fast, and she's got a left foot. And I agree with you, she maps much more closely to Leah Williamson in style. But one of the things that I think was a real problem for Arsenal, and we've got a lot of questions about Arsenal's recent form and and things like that. And actually, the the tone of the questions is still, I don't want to say downbeat, but concerned um, about about Arsenal's form. I, I do think it's picked up in the last couple of games, and I think... The return of Leah and the signing of Hafaeli are a big part of that because 
one of the big problems for Arsenal, I think, and we saw it very, very much so against Birmingham um, and probably a bit against United in the Conti Cup, is when your centre-halves lose those duels when the ball goes over the top, it just... It, particularly if you're a pressing team that plays a high line, you've got to have centre-halves that can recover um, into space. And I think Arsenal have got two of those now. But Hafaeli, she told me in the interview that um, I did with her this week that Arsenal wanted her at the beginning of the season. Um, they wanted her from, from August, but she, she still had her contract in China, which didn't run out till the end of December. So they, they wanted that a little bit earlier. Um, and I think what you'll see in defence now, I think there's a bit of a three-way fight for that last, that fourth-choice centre-half spot, because I think Lear and Hafer will be the first choice. Lotta can rotate with both of them, and then when you're looking at fourth choice, I think it's, you know, Jen Beatty's contract is up. Can she do enough to win another contract? Simone Boy, I think the situation is the same there. Can she do enough to win another contract, or does Anna Patton really impress on loan, and does she come back as that fourth choice centre half so I, I think there's there's going to be a bit of a bun fight there but I agree that this squad is taking probably taking more of Jonas's shape and the other question I'm just going to ask you um, quickly which I guess is a quicker question because this was announced after we put out the call for questions is about the Champions League game against Wolfsburg being moved to Emirates Stadium which I think we both understand is almost entirely about VAR um, but given the work you do, particularly with the zone across, um, you know, the women's champions league, how, you know, how, how great is it to see so many of these, nearly all of these ties in the big stadiums? Yeah. I mean, I can, I, I'll say it personally and then professionally, um, personally, obviously like working, as you mentioned, um, I booked my tickets to go to company already. I booked my tickets to go to Wolfsburg to the Arsenal game there. Um, so I'm, buzzing you know I get, I get to be obviously with the work I do I get to be pitch side on these in these stadiums on these matches um so I'm buzzing on the inside professionally it is really good to see in the sense that obviously with the zone it's streamed all over the world um and it is maybe it's a bit giving into people on the outside not thinking that thinking that women's football is enough um but it is just so much nicer to produce something and to watch something and you see it being played in these iconic stadiums that people know. You know, if you say, oh, let's go watch Arsenal Wolfsburg at, at Meadow Park. How enticing does that sound to someone who doesn't watch women's football? If you say, let's go watch Arsenal Wolfsburg at the Emirates Stadium, you'll bring in so many different kinds of people that it just, it sounds better, it looks better and it's, it gives more incentive from people from the outside to come watch, uh, to watch, to whether it be in person or online. Um, but it's just, it's, it gives that extra kind of status to a women's football match that you don't normally get outside of it. So, but obviously, you know, you get the, the home feeling is gone and everything. Um, and then you have obviously the capped attendance, I think right now is at 10 K if I'm correct at the merits. Um, so it's, it's pros and cons, but I think overall and kind of, I think whoever works in the women's game, I think all their aims is just to get as many people as possible to, to get an eye on it. Um, and I think using these stadiums is, is a positive for that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you're right that it will have a, an, an effect. It will have a positive impact on the viewing figures um, as well, definitely. Um, yeah, like I say, I think from Arsenal's side, that's more about the VAR thing. Um, but, you know, in terms of it feeling like home for Arsenal, it will be the third time 
They played there this season. They then have, they back it up with the North London Derby f three or four days later at the same stadium. So they get a little bit of a residency there during uh, what will be an international break for the men in March. So hopefully another really good opportunity to kind of promote Arsenal women. And, and I think the shame of the Barcelona game was, you know, it, it gets bums on seats, but when you lose 4-0, <laughs> which, was, which was always, you know, fairly likely... Um, probably not a great legacy, whereas I think that Chelsea game in September, that creates a legacy. If we beat Spurs, which we should, that should create a legacy. And Wolfsburg, I think that's going to be a really close tie anyway. But nevertheless, let's crack on with the reader questions. <laughs> the reader questions, I beg your pardon. Um, and I'm going to start with this one from Dan. Um, forgive me if you can hear my daughter in the background. Um, I don't think that's a protest against this podcast. Um, Dan, who is at, uh, I think, Daniel Smith, uh, but Daniel spelt a bit like Daniel Vanderdonk's name. Uh, not sure if that's a, a deliberate nod to DVD or not. Um, what do you think would be seen as progress this season? And do you think we could justify progress has been made if Arsenal don't win a trophy? I think I'll answer the second part to that. Yes, there has been progress, because if you look at you know, the last few seasons, uh, we've been not really close to the title race as we are this season. I mean, we're four points clear at the top. When was the last time that we were able to say that um, and keep it up consistently? You know, it is a bit shaky at the moment, if we're being honest, but it's still, you know, no matter what, we're still at the top, still four points clear. Um, so there is definitely progress overall. Now, the progress that can be done very scarily, it can either go up or down. Because um, obviously, you know, Chelsea are dropping points, we're dropping points. So it's kind of up and downs, but there's going to be one day that maybe we drop points and Chelsea don't. And then that's kind of it for it. So it's the progress that needs to be seen now is just consistency. Um, and hopefully injuries kind of help us out for once and <laughs> everything. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely have been, there's been a lot of progress, and especially with these January transfer um, signings that we have, there's room for a lot of progress for the rest of the season. Yeah. And um, I want to actually, I'll, I'll combine that with a question from Liam. And we've got another question from Liam as well, who's at, at Liam Twitter, but with ones and fives in there. Very clever. Um, and because he asked as well about, um, you know, the, the question of has progress been made under Jonas compared to Joe? I mean, first of all, tackling the question of what would be progress this year, I always felt being in the title race because Arsenal haven't been in the title race for the last two seasons. So none of this distant third and qualifying for the Champions League be in the race. Um, and I thought and I still think that even if Arsenal finish second, but they are an active member in the title race all the way through, that that would represent progress to me. Obviously, that would feel a bit like disappointment because Arsenal have led the league for a lot of the season. But like looking at it objectively, even if Arsenal finish second this season and they're two points behind, three points behind, something like that, I would still call that progress. The, the interesting part of the question, or the more interesting part of the question, is whether Arsenal can claim to make progress without a trophy. I, I think that's... I do think that's important. I do think that's important. As much as I would be calm about not winning the league this year, I think Arsenal need to win a cup. Like They haven't won one since 2019. They haven't won one of the domestic cups in four years. And I think they've just got to do that. They've got to do that. 
and I'm this sounds weird having been thumped in a cup final by Chelsea but I do think Jonas has got us playing better in those bigger games uh, absent the actual cup final so the, the problem for Arsenal in the last few years you have to beat at least one of Chelsea or Man City to win a cup and they that's where they come a cropper um, but I do look at the FA Cup for example this year like if Arsenal finished second and won the FA Cup and even, even if they went out against Wolfsburg but it was close like just don't get thrashed by Wolfsburg which I don't think they will or even if they got to a semi-final like I, I would consider that it, it's all delicate and in a balance but personally I'd consider all of that progress um Second question then uh, from Belinda, who is uh, whose Twitter handle very very nice is Marnham. This is Twitter. Um, uh, sorry, Marnham. It's Twitter. Uh, after a busy transfer window, which suggests the club are backing Jonas, we could have done with some midfield cover, uh, in my opinion, especially in the defensive midfield position. Do you think that's something that Arsenal should look at in the summer, especially with no guarantees about Jordan staying yet and with Leavolti not staying fit? Yeah, it's an interesting question because obviously at the moment we have Leo Valdi, um, who I still think hasn't completely gotten comfortable with Jonas' style of play. Um, then he, we've seen obviously that he prefers freedom Adam in that position. But to bring in, I personally think that to bring in a CDM in this transfer window would have been too soon. Um, I don't necessarily think that Jonas has a clear idea of what he wants that person to do in that role. Um, obviously, I think he's leaning more towards a player like Freda Manham who can defend and get the ball back, recover the ball and everything and balance off well with Kim Lil on top of that. Um, but I think the centre-backs were the priority and he obviously focused on that. And I think he has enough time now to establish his team and establish a style of play that then he can go shopping um, over the summer so I think it was, I, I agree that potentially we do need more cover in the midfield, but I don't think, I think January was just a bit too soon for Jonas um, in terms of kind of getting the game plan all together. Um, but then with Jordan leaving, obviously, yes, that means in the summer, um, he needs to pick up a, a player or two, I think two players at least that can slot into that midfield. But I think the way that the midfield three have been working is very different to kind of Joe's style of play. Um, I think Joe is a very like traditionalist uh, 4-3-3 man with a lone pivot and then kind of two higher players where I think now it's shifting. You see a pivot, but then you see Frida Manum being a 10, Kim Little being six. You see a lot more of fluid transition of positions between the midfield right now. Um, so I think if Jonas wants to continue that, then you need a completely different style of player. And yeah, I just think January was too soon to find that. But I think in the summer, he definitely needs to kind of establish what he wants and find the players that fit that position perfectly. Yeah, I, I think um, defensive midfielder is probably the next thing on the shopping list because the midfield is thinner than the rest of the squad. Just write the squad list out by position and it's midfield that has like the fewest number of players and really only one recognized defensive midfielder in Leo Volti. He hasn't shown, um, I think justifiably hasn't shown any appetite to play Leo Williamson there. Um, like even Vicky Schneiderbeck, she's played there in the past, hasn't played her there. I think the Freedom Arnhem at six experiment ended with Birmingham 
um, to be honest. She played there, and and in absolute fairness to her, A, it's not her position anyway. B, she came into the game late because Leah Volti was supposed to start and had to pull out after the warm-up. And I, don't, I just don't think Joe wanted uh, Joe Jonas wanted to disrupt things, and Frieda played deeper, and and I, I think she had a pretty bad game there, which which I think is justifiable given the reasons I've laid out. And since then, he's dropped Kim deeper. Now, personally, I like Kim in that deeper role, particularly I think against the bigger teams because of the way she keeps the ball. Um, but it's it's not. I don't think that's the solution going forward. I think there there needs to be another defensive midfielder, probably even another central midfielder, to be honest. Because when you look at it, Arsenal lost Gilroyd and Daniel Van der Donk um, in the summer, and they brought in Frieda Marnham. They brought in Mana Iwabuchi, but it doesn't look like Jonas really considers her as part of his midfield three. He considers her more of a wide forward, I think. So I, I do think there's definitely a piece missing there. And I, and I do think that would be really interesting. I've got I've got a feeling he might maybe Jonas would want someone maybe quite physical there. Um, looking at the profile of player he's brought in, Hafaeli, Blackstinius. You know, if if you've seen them play and if you've seen if you've been in the stadium and seen them play, like they're built players um, and I do, I do think that that's that's going to be a big part of what Jonas wants so I wouldn't be surprised to see something like that in defensive midfield personally and then obviously we don't know what's happening with Jordan's future yet and yeah I think there needs to be another player there anyway so I think if January had been a little bit longer if it had been like a six-week window I do think he might have tried to address that but we'll see what the summer brings I definitely think we'll see someone in the summer coming in there so let's try um, another question um, and this one is from Domi Kadiwo uh, at Damdo MK who says we've had a few signings over the two windows which shows the club's commitment but how close to we are being are we to being good enough to challenge in Europe maybe to add to the last question this is my call for Lena Oberdorf to be signed to Arsenal over the summer um She's built, she's good. That's it. Okay, I'm leaving that there. Um, challenge to Europe is that's a heavy question, I think, for the moment in terms of Arsenal, because for some reason, all the other clubs are just way more advanced than Arsenal in Europe at the moment. Um, and I can't I can't really put my finger on it. They've just the project has been building for a lot longer than it has been at Arsenal. You know, PSG, Lyon, uh, Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, these are teams that have been consistently in the Women's Champions League for years and years and years and years. And they have been building year by year all of this. Arsenal are just getting back onto the European wagging and they've had to restart all over again. They've had to keep up momentum. You know, there's you can watch it from the outside. You know, Chelsea have done this. Um and you see the difference between Chelsea and Arsenal in the, in the Champions League. Like it's just completely different. I think it's just down to the experience that these teams have over Arsenal. So I don't think winning the Champions League is in the immediate future, unfortunately. Um, but should Arsenal continue to, you know, be in that title race, to be in the Champions League consistently over the, over the next few years, you know, it's the Barcelona history again. They didn't just come up and win it. You know, they started winning the league. They started being in the Champions League. They got to the final, lost it, worked for two more years, and then won it. You know, Arsenal are at the beginning of that story. You know, they're just working on it again. 
let them reach a final one day, lose it or win it. And then you just keep progressing. But I think European title contention is a bit too early. Um, it is in the right direction. You know, Arsenal are investing. They're getting the flavor of, you know, Champions League competition. The group stages have come in, which give Arsenal a lot more opportunities to play more games against um, European opposition. Um, so I think it's it's coming, but not for another few years, I would say. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I'd add to that that really what Arsenal are probably looking at in the short term is to really get in. And I think they're in there quality wise, but you're right, not experience wise. Because essentially challenging in Europe means challenging Barca. And unfortunately, that is a, a little way off and that will take time. And it took Barca time to reach where they are now. Like Alexia Putellas is 29, right? Uh, like 27, yeah. 27, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, 27. So it's taken her, like, that Barca team has, has come about over a number of years. Um, but getting into that, like, or being firmly in that second tranche of clubs with Wolfsburg, with Bayern, with PSG, with Lyon, with, with Chelsea as well, albeit <laughs> they're not in the Champions League anymore, um, you know, but firmly establishing themselves within that 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 kind of um, culture of teams, I think, is where it's at. In terms of what, you know, you because and Jonas has spoken about how he'll need time to like build up to something like Barca. Something he spoke about with Barca, which I thought was interesting. You know, he talked about how they all play together internationally. So Barca have like an advantage because eight of their players go and play together for Spain. Um, you know, so even in the international breaks, they're doing the same thing with the same players, more or less. And when he signed uh, Rafaeli, he said one of the things that attracted him to sign her was that Brazil are coached by Pia Sundag, a fellow Swede who coaches very similar football to Jonas. And he said that he found that like a very compelling reason to sign her. So I, I think that when he identifies targets, I think he'll want players who um, who play for perhaps national teams. He's not going to be able to sign a whole national team. That's not going to happen. But, you know, national teams who at least play similarly to Arsenal. And the other thing he's referenced before is that a lot of Arsenal players are like the biggest players in smaller national teams. So, Leo Valti, Katie McCabe, players like that, who go and play a completely different style. When Leo Valti plays for Switzerland, when Katie McCabe plays for Ireland, completely different things they're being asked to do. And I think he'll want to redress that a little bit and get people in who play perhaps for, you know, for bigger nations... Um, or, or at least nations who play a very similar way to, to how Arsenal play. And I think those are a couple of things he's identified if we're talking about the journey to Arsenal becoming a challenger in Europe. Um, and, you know, look, that Barca team, not anytime soon, it will age out eventually. And with Barca's overalls, financial troubles, it will be very, it'll be very interesting to see how they replace that team. But that's not a problem they really have to think about at the moment. Um Let's try this one from Kieran Bannon at C Bannon Official. With Chelsea dropping points to Reading and Brighton, um, could they drop more? And obviously, we've got we've got two massive games on the horizon at home to Manchester United and then away at Chelsea next week. Could Arsenal lose at Chelsea and still win the league title? The obvious answer is yes, um, but that comes with the the kind of saying that anything can happen. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's tough because we know how mentally strong Chelsea are um, in the sense that they've dropped points this season already. I think too much 
well, I mean, we know that it's too much for their standards. And I think Chelsea have the mental capacity to not do it again if they set their minds to it. Whether they will or not, that just that's obviously football is football. Anything can happen on the day. But I think Arsenal need to kind of step up their game and realize that if Arsenal drop points, Chelsea is that's even just going to push Chelsea even more. And I think that's just going to be really bad for us overall. Um, so I think, look, anything can happen whether we lose to Chelsea, that's, that's going to be big. But at the end of the day, those three points that are available at Kings Meadow are huge in terms of adding to the advantage. And if we lose, I mean, if we get those three points and it gives us a bit more of a cushion to kind of mess up later in the season, as I would think that we would, um, in a very Arsenal fan kind of optimistic manner. Um, but if we do lose those three points, I think it's just going to be a lot harder for Arsenal. And I don't know if we'll be able to kind of deal with that. So it's, it's a give and go. Obviously, if we lose, it's still possible. But if we win, it just gives us that much more confidence to, to go on and just see it out. Yeah, I agree. I, I think if Chelsea won, the momentum would very firmly swing in their direction. Of course, this weekend, you know, Arsenal got United, but Chelsea, I believe, go to Manchester City. Um, and that's, you know, potentially if that could just finish a draw and Arsenal win and look, I'd bite your hand off for a draw at <laughs> Kings Meadow, quite frankly. Um, and, you know, because because I do think a defeat, a defeat would not put an end to the title race at all. Um, it, it really, really wouldn't. And after, like after that, you know, Arsenal's Arsenal's kind of games against, you know, the other members of the big four are all out of the way. Um, and that, that's kind of what happened last season. Arsenal had Chelsea and Man City in a short space of time. They lost both those games, but then they put a run together after that because they got those games out of the way. So if Arsenal can come out of that relatively unscathed, I do see this weekend as key, though. If Arsenal can beat Manchester United um, and, and you know, United, for once, Arsenal will be playing a team who's had a midweek game when Arsenal haven't. Um, if they can beat United and then, you know, any any sort of result that's not a Chelsea win in, in the City game, that really gives Arsenal, um, you know, I don't want to say an advantage, but yeah, maybe an advantage going into that Chelsea away game. But I really think Chelsea will have the bit between their teeth. And yeah, I, if Arsenal won that game, then the pressure would really be on. And it'd be interesting to see how they hand, handled that, because if they you know, if they go seven points clear or or maybe even more by winning that game, then the expectation will absolutely be that they should win the league. And it would be interesting to see how they deal with that. They, they would deal with that pressure in this kind of point of their timeline. Um, let's try another one then. Um, I think I might have mushed some of these together. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's take this one first from a, uh, Nicola Pepe um, on Twitter, and he's, he's spelt it Nicola, um, I think in a nod to the Arscast intro, which 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 has that commentary in it. And that's uh, at Evan Parsons under 85, underscore 85. After a flying start, Freedom Arnhem has had a, a drop off in form. Do you think it's fatigue based and can, do you think we can expect to return to that form this season? Um, I only ask as at first it wasn't a huge deal, but now there seems to be a, a rather large Van der Donk sized hole in the midfield. I'm not sure how large um, <laughs> that, that, that hole would be given Van der Donk's size, but I, I get what you're saying. 
that was funny. Um, yeah, look, I Frida Man. I mean, since I didn't really know much about her, I, I've seen a few of her kind of highlights when she was playing in Sweden. But once she came to Arsenal, she's been the player that's really impressed me. Um, and I think people that know me enough by now knows that a midfielder that plays really, really well is kind of my my favorite thing in the world. Um, so my appreciation for, for Frida Manum and her style of play and her intelligence on the pitch is, is really, really high. But I do agree that she's kind of fallen off that momentum in the last couple of games. And I think it's not just her. I think it's just been Arsenal as a whole, as we can probably all agree to. And I don't know if it just has to do with the Arsenal thing or if it's just a Frida thing or if maybe it's because of what we spoke about earlier with Tim about her being in a position that she's not entirely comfortable with. And I don't know if Jonas has the solution that she needs to, to kind of be good in that role and be comfortable in that role consistently throughout the entire season. Um, but it is a bit disappointing, disappointing to see, but I do think she's the kind of player that recognizes what she does wrong and what she does right and is able to kind of turn that around um, and now you can only hope that she's going to turn up in these big games that we do need her because should she be starting in that midfield over Leo Valti, um, which I don't know if she will because it's, you know, against Chelsea, against Man United, perhaps we do. We, and we spoke about it a few kind of episodes ago, how Leo Valti provides a bit more defensive security and you need that a bit more um in these bigger games, but now if we are playing Leah Williamson and Rafael as center backs, perhaps that gives us a bit more license to to be a bit more attacking, to be more a bit more daring, and that's where I think Frida Manum is going to thrive in. Um, that's just me hoping for the best, and for once actually being optimistic. Um, but I think Frida could play a key part in in these big games coming up if she's able to do it comfortably. If that makes sense. Because um, Leah Valti is comfortable in that position and she's going to give us that security no matter what. But in the chance that we do need to go out and attack, um, you can only hope that Freedom Manum is, is given the comfort and the license to kind of feel free enough to play good in that position. Yeah, I think Frieda's kind of probably mirrored Arsenal, um, which I guess you'd expect from a new young player as well. Like she's not going to be at the stage of her, her Arsenal career yet to be able to like really drag a team that's, you know, that, that's perhaps not performing to its optimum like she started, um, like a train, a bit like the team, and then it's, it's kind of come down a little bit. I, I think um, you kind of, you touched on something there with the centre-backs. I think that's so important. I really do. I think having Leah and Rafaeli as the centre-half partnership, I really do think that potentially changes things for Arsenal creatively and for the midfield, because none of the midfielders, I think, have really hit their top form. Um, and I know we've got, we've got like another question on that um, later. So I'll, I'll kind of save that a little bit, but um, I, I think you'll see a bit of an improvement from Arsenal. And I think you'll see, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think freedom on will definitely be a part of that. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Next question from uh, Marika von Litt. Uh, I, I really hope I've pronounced that right this time because I know I've done it uh, very, very wrong a few times, but completely different question here, actually. How do we feel about the fine given to the team for the behaviour issues? So this was Arsenal were fined for for their players failing to behave in an orderly manner um, after the goal conceded against Manchester City. Um isn't the reaction the girls gave something we often see in the men's game as well? Is it part of the emotion or something um, we wish to keep out of the women's game? So what was your reaction to Arsenal getting fined for? Um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I, I was surprised because it looked pretty tame to me. Yeah, I, I might be the wrong person to do this on because I'm that player that will kind of mouth off. Uh, we actually had on Sunday, we had a really bad referee. Um, and we were in the team huddle right before the match and everyone was just like, don't talk back to the ref. Um, and everyone said my name for whatever reason that might be. Um, but look, it's, it's understandable. You, you go at the ref no matter what. I mean, you're asking for the ball to go in your favor, even if you bluntly know that it wasn't your ball to begin with. You know, these, these things going at the ref... And it's not in a bad way. It's never in a bad way. It's just the passion and the fact that you've, it's a bit of frustration. It's a bit of passion. It's a bit of, I hate you so much right now. You suck um, to put it in a very nicely manner. <laughs> um, and it's understandable. And it is a bit shocking because I did not see um, any of the players being very you know, nasty about it. It was at the end of the day, I still think that it was a really bad decision from the referee and it's frustration, um, but it it was it's natural frustration to go against a referee decision, whether it be right or wrong. In this case, it was very very wrong, so even more of a reason to go. Um, but you know, you, you saw Kim Little, the captain, as it should be, going up to the referee and and protesting against it. And again, not in a nasty matter. It's just like, can you at least? And you get these referees all the time. If you ask them a simple question, you ask them to explain their their decision. They're taking it as an attack against them. So it's it's that power shift sometimes between players and referee. And 
overall, I just, I, I am a bit surprised by it. Um, and I'm surprised that the FA still haven't kind of given an explanation about the call, um, which is a bit frustrating because sometimes on these big occasions, you get the committees and you get these associations to kind of write out an explanation and kind of just let everyone know whether people agree with it or not. It's, it's an explanation. Um, but yeah, this, this fine is, it's fine. You know, Arsenal at the end of the day, maybe they did complain and it's, they violated some little rule that exists just because, um, so you take the fine and you just continue, but it's, it's a bit disappointing to see from the FA, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, there's a 500 pound fine. Arsenal didn't contest it. I think on that basis, there's like, oh, we'll just give them the money, but um, I, I, th- I think it was bullshit. Um, I, I really do. It was three players went up to the referee. And obviously, look, we don't know what they said. Maybe they were completely out of order. But like the referee did literally kick the ball to a Manchester City player in the build-up to a goal in a huge game. I think you've got. I, I think it was actually quite restrained to only have three players. Like I, I, you know, I wouldn't have been too surprised if that had happened in the Premier League. You'd have eleven players around you and obviously Jonas um, the charge doesn't relate to him he was booked for his protest they said the players and it was three players and I guess like if they were all completely out of order then you know maybe that's one thing but it seems to set an incredibly low bar for that type of charge as to whether it's like a, a thing between men's and women's football well those of you that follow the men's team you'll know that Arsenal men got a charge for complaining about a decision against Manchester City earlier this month so like if this if this fine uh, represents a sea change in like against dissent and we see this all the time and they set that as the standard fine i really don't think they're going to and and i think what they did was drew even more attention to what was like a technical error uh, from the referee it wasn't just a it wasn't just a subjective call. It was a, a fairly basic um, kind of technical error. But yeah, so I thought it was bullshit. But there you go. We can just um, blame uh, Katie McCabe's accent. Maybe <laughs> referee didn't really understand yeah. what she was saying. Yeah, maybe something got lost in translation. Uh, <laughs> so these two questions I have grouped together. And I, I probably should have put them after the Frieda Marnham question. But the first, um, I'll read them both. Uh, Yana, who's Yana DW underscore. With the players we have, we should be creating a lot more than we have done in the last two months only two of our WSL goals this season were assisted by one of the midfielders and do you think a lack of output and creativity from the midfield is a main issue and uh, similar uh, Florence Dion at Florence Dion 4 what do you make of Arsenal's recent struggle to create chances in open play and from a sustained period of possession is this a concern going forward or simply the consequence of a change of style it's yeah it's it's something that I've actually been thinking about in terms of style because you see Jonas's style, but with the so much change of personnel, you haven't really gotten a concrete style of play yet. Um, you know, Tobin Heath leaving now, she's back. Caitlin Ford being that replacement, um, and then she had to go off to the Asian Cup. You know, getting new center backs, Leah's back changes the entire thing, as we said. You know. Leavalti, Friedemann, and, uh, you know, Jordan Oms is back and fit and be able, you know, she's playing consistent games again. So I think it's, it's little things that haven't clicked um, as well you, as you would expect them to. Um, but I think in terms of the fact that the midfielders haven't assisted many things, I think that's just a st- down to the style of play because if you look at everything, once the ball goes into the midfield, the, the ball is going to go right outside. 
and you saw it a lot in the last game. It was a lot of combination on the right side with Beth, Viv, Jordan. Um, was it Katie playing fullback? I think it was. Yeah, so you see these combinations and it's all on the wing. It's never that central. You know, the central players essentially in the way that Jonas plays are there to pick up the balls into space from the defensive line and distribute it out to the wing. Um, even Viv, you know, she comes in centrally, picks up the ball, distributes, distributes to the wing and then makes her run towards the, the middle and into the area. So I think that's more down to the style of play and the strengths that Arsenal have right now. You know, if you have Tobin Heath, Beth Mead on either side of your pitch, you know, you get them the ball because you know their footwork, you know, they can get across, they can get a goal, anything can happen from that. Um, and in terms of creating chances, it's been weird <laughs> to say the least. Um, we saw in the last match that Arsenal played, I only watched the first half um, against London City Lionesses, but they had all the possession, obviously, Um you know, it is a big jump for London City to, to compete against them. And I thought they did quite decently. They were they were quite defensively solid. But Arsenal just weren't able to get that final ball right in the, in the way that we've used to see them in the past. I think against, with Joe, I think we've been mentioning Joe a lot in this episode, but when you look at Arsenal against Joe, it was, it was a lot more, you know, first touch football in the final box. And he liked that kind of created, savvy, you know, cheeky style of football, whereas Jonas is a bit more strict. So you don't, I don't know if the players just don't have that much more freedom to kind of play that kind of football. Um, but I think we're doing enough at the moment to be able to win matches. Um, I think we're creating enough. Are we, we could create a lot, a lot, a lot more. And I think we definitely need to pick it up again. But I think for the moment, and the kind of everything that's come with change of personnel and new players coming in, still adapting to Jonas. Jonas still figuring out what to do with certain players positionally and kind of adapting to the pressure of, you know, being in the title race, which Arsenal haven't done in, in a couple of years. I think all of that combined is kind of taken, uh, affecting the players in terms of their, their ability to just relax and play their football. Um, so I think all of that is just, part of it but I do think that we could create a lot more but I still do think that we're doing enough to win matches we're just not finishing off what we actually create yeah I I think it's uh, I think it's a couple I think a lot of it is like you said down to a bit of a change in style what those midfielders are there to do you look through the spine of the team um Jordan Viv Kim, they're, they're not the ones assisting, but you look at Beth Mead's numbers, Katie McCabe's numbers, like that. that's where it's kind of coming from. Um, I, like, I still think it's a bit of a problem. I still think, I did ask Jonas about this a couple of games ago, about whether he wanted more through the centre um, of the pitch, but he, he kind of said they're still adjusting to the idea that essentially when they go out wide, they don't always want to go out wide just to chuck a cross in. But what they're trying to do is when they go wide is to attract the opponents wide and then that opens up space in the centre. And and I do think I do think there are a couple of things clicking. Um, first of all, having Leah Williamson back, that was an enormous miss um, defensively, but definitely in terms of the way Arsenal built up. They just don't have another player like that. In fact, kind of now they do in Hafaieli from the other side. I think if we'd had Hafaieli, Leah's absence would have been less of a thing, but I think that was a huge thing. I think Tobin was a massive miss because if you're looking at someone that you want out wide, A, to create 
goals and to score goals as we saw against Man City. But if you're talking about using the flanks to take players away, there's probably no one better than Tobin for that. If you whip a ball out wide to Tobin, she takes like three players come and try and try and get her and that frees up space for Jordan and, and Viv in the attack. And the, I think the thing that makes me really quite positive is the way Viv, Viv has looked different in the last two games. I think she's really starting to get when to drop and when to stay up front. I think we saw that against Brighton. I think we saw it against London City Lionesses, albeit she didn't know what day of the week it was. Um, still managed to score the winning goal, which she didn't remember. But I think she's really beginning to to get now. Like I, I think like when I look back at that Birmingham game, there were so many times she was coming deep and no one was running in behind and it was getting in the way. But I think she's kind of getting it um, now. And I think that's a big thing. And if we can keep Leah fit, if we can keep Tobin fit, I think those two are massive, massive players. I still like... Yeah, I still think that I'd like to see us create more centrally, particularly when we've got players like Manor, like Jordan, like Kim, who we know can do that. But I also think a mixture of... Whereas we've had it like the wrong way around recently with player absences and the team still getting used to things, I think now they're a bit more used to things and they've got key players back. That makes me um, a, a bit more positive about the second half of the season. Um, a, a player. Um, there, there were a few questions about this player actually, but I'm going to read out the one from uh, at Ariel AWFC. How can we get Keats, Nikita Paris, um, better involved in the team? You've got a player like Keats who runs in behind so much, paired with a fullback like Noel Maritz, who's more of a get the ball and look for the option. And I feel that combo hasn't worked well. Nikita Paris still looking for her first WSL goal of the season, which if you'd have told me that in August, I would have thought you were mad. Um, and, and I do think it, it's quite clear we haven't seen the best Nikita Paris yet. Do you think that's a, a solvable issue? That's, that's hard because I think, I think it just hasn't clicked with Nikita. Um, you know, I'm not taking away from like her personality, her like personality traits as a, as a player on the pitch, and like what she is good at. But it is true that the way that Arsenal like to play, I don't think suits her entirely, and I think we've seen that already. And it's kind of not decisive, but I just I don't have you know that 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 much hope for Nikita to get a lot better with Arsenal. Um, and it's unfortunate because we all know, you know, we all know what she can do, like she has done for England, like she did for Man City. But when you look at, you know, the way that Man City played and, and where she actually thrived, it's a completely different game. You know, in Man City, it's Ellen White, central striker, very static. You know, she's a typical number nine. And then you have kind of a more central build-up play, kind of, not even that much, but it's just, it's a very, the way I would describe it, um, and I don't mean like this in a really bad way, but the way Man City play is like very rigid compared to the way that Arsenal play. And I think that might just suit Nikita Paris just a tad bit more. Um, the thing that, that I, I think that gets to Nikita Paris a lot is kind of the movement, the positional movement. I don't know if she's grasped that entirely well, because like I, like I mentioned, you know, you have on the left side, Kate McCabe, Viv Miedema, Jordan Nobbs, Beth Mead, the way they were combining was amazing to see, you know, Viv would come overlap for some reason, Beth Mead would, uh, Viv would end up on the left wing, Beth in the middle, Jordan, and then Viv, 
and then Beth would end up as a 10, Jordan as a central striker, Viv as a left winger. And then you switch that around and now you have kind of Jordan tracking back Katie McCabe, the highest, you know, it's that positional movement, which I think has been big in, in Arsenal's game. And it makes players like Katie McCabe, like Beth Mead, like Jordan Nobbs, like Vivian Miedema, a lot more comfortable playing. And I don't know if Nikita Paris has that kind of ability just yet. Um, and you've seen her struggle. I mean, she gets the ball in good positions and she's just unable to put in a good cross, um, which has been a bit frustrating <laughs> to watch because she has gotten, she picks up, she receives the ball in really good spaces because she knows how to mix those run-ins behind. Um, and she's really good at that, but she hasn't really contributed a lot to the attack, which is very disappointing. Um, but I think it's just, I don't know what the solution would be, but I think Nikita, the main thing for me, for her, is just to get a bit more fluid in her positional attacking um, and just be able to receive the ball and kind of interchange play rather than receive the ball, turn, run down the line, make a cross. Um, I think she just needs to give herself a few more options to do on the pitch. Yeah, I, I think you're right that certainly the way we're playing at the moment just hasn't suited her because she wants the ball in behind, right? And and Arsenal don't haven't really done that on the flanks. They build through the flanks. And particularly on the left, um, you know, with the partnership with Noel Merritt, I, I think that's less of an issue personally. Um, when I look at what Nikita did at uh, Man City, usually it was Lucy Bronze at right back. And, and I think people have Lucy Bronze pegged wrong, right? Because they think of her as this overlapping fullback. And, and she is, she's good at doing that. But really what she is, is she tucks in and she's another midfielder and she stops the counter attacks and... She's brilliant at bursting past players like when City build up from the back. She's a bit of a cheat code like that. So I don't think she's this massive overlapping fullback. Um, and, and I think like Noel Maritz is, uh, you know, not exactly the same, but like similar in terms of she's not a, like a big overlapper. Um, I do agree that the, those two haven't quite been on the same wavelength yet. As to whether it's, you know, whether it's terminal, I mean, it might be. It might, it might just be that, you know, like Jonas didn't buy that player. Um, she was bought before Jonas was appointed. I, I'm not entirely convinced it's terminal yet. And the reason for that is that Arsenal use their left side to build up. So what they need there, they need small space players. They need Tobin Heath who can trap a ball and beat three players or fend off three players. They need Katie McCabe who can overlap and put crosses in. Like, you know, Viv who can turn on a six-punch Jordan like on that left side overload, they need small space players and that's not Nikita. But then on the right side, you see what someone like Beth Mead is doing because I think on the right side, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more room for chaos. And I think Beth, again, very, very different type of player to Nikita, but she really benefits from that because she can go and do her pressing thing and, you know, closing people down and getting shots off. Um, I mean, she, you know, she's not really like, going out on the touchline and putting crosses in now, Beth Mead. She's much more involved. She kind of comes in centrally. And, you know, like Nikita Paris is 27. She's not going to change the player she is. But um, I do think that given Arsenal can use a bit of chaos on that right-hand side, that I still think that she can, she can do something, particularly on that back post. And I think she's been a bit unlucky a couple of times or, you know, sometimes some poor finishing as well. She's had chances on that back post when Arsenal overload the left the ball comes in and she's got space on the back post. I do think there's an element of her thrashing at things a little because she wants that first WSL goal. So I don't necessarily think it's it's terminal for Nikita Parrish yet, but I'm, I'm open to the fact that 
that it could possibly be. It just could possibly be a bad fit, but um, I, I, I don't. I haven't made my mind up on that. Um, let's finish with um, a couple more. Uh, first one, we've covered Hafaeli, I think. So um, the Arsenal women blog at AWFC blog asked about Hafaeli, but I think we've talked about her qualities quite a lot. Um, so I'm going to go for Jeremy Bradley's question. He's at Jeremy Bradley 49 Of our eight new signings uh, since the summer, um, and let's uh, reel those off, Freedom Arnhem, Nikita Paris, Simone Boy, uh, Mana Iwabuchi, Hafaeli, Laura Weinreuter, Stina Blackstinius and Tobin Heath. Um, albeit a couple of them have only played a couple of games. Which of those signings has impressed you the most? I think I have to go out and say Tobin. Um, I mean, they've. I think Arsenal have actually done really good business since the summer. Um, they've gotten a few, you know, they're not going out for big names, even though I am naming the biggest name on the list. Um, but it is within reason. I think Tobin has adapted really well to this Arsenal style play and, and Jonas and the players she's, you know, she gets on with everyone um, just quite close to a lot of players, which you can obviously on the pitch um, you know, she's contributed a lot and that's just her personally, you know, that's not her, you know, winning three world cups and having that winning mentality that you heard so much about at Man United, you know, all these players talk about Tobin Heath. They talk about the mentality that she brings in the personality that she brings into the dressing room and kind of the motivation that she gives other players. And I think Arsenal have been missing kind of that one player that is really like in a very good way, like in your face of we need to win this and we are able to win this. So let's go out and win this basically. Um, and then on top of that, what we've been talking about, how the wingers are so important and the style that Arsenal are picking up right now. And Tobin Heath, again, Tobin Heath, you know, is one of the best wingers in the world, not only for her abilities, but, you know, her footwork is one in a million. Um, try getting the ball off Tobin Heath. You know, it's cheeky little tricks. And now that she's experienced, um, she's only gotten smarter. She's always been an amazing player. Now she's smart and she knows what to do, when to do it with the vast, vast experience. And I think she's been maybe a bit underrated on a football ability because her name is so big that you kind of get blindsided by everything that she's done and, and who she is. But on a, on a strictly football basis, I think Tobin Heath has been a really good fit at Arsenal. And I think that is the kind of player that Arsenal have been missing in terms of being a big name player, but not just buying a player just because of their name, um, but then being big contributing to the team on and off the pitch, but also being a perfect fit for Arsenal. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I'll have to say Dogan. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give three answers to this in, in a slightly weird way. So at the moment, fair. I didn't know we could do that. <laughs> so at the moment I'd say Frida, um, even though I, I agree, she hasn't been as, as good in the last few games as she had uh, previously, but she's been the one that's been the most involved in the team. And I think has looked the most natural fit. I think if you ask me in May, I would say Tobin Heath. Um, I, I, I just, you know, she's been injured. Um, so it, it's been kind of difficult. But if Arsenal win a trophy or win the league, I I bet you money um, Tobin Heath will be a very, very big part of that. And, and I think you're right, both in terms of, you know, her, her mentality and attitude around the place. We're talking about an Arsenal team that's early in its cycle, but Tobin Heath is, you know, she's been there and done it all. 
Um, and, you know, you saw that, I think, with the stoppage time goal against Man City, which I think is a really underrated goal because that pressure-wise is a white-hot moment. She's got, I think there are six players between her and the goal. Absolutely ice cold. I think even a good player might just smash that over the bar in a panic. And and that's that's the type of player she is. I also think she's really suited to Jonas's style. I think we've really missed her on that left-hand side. But I, I'm not going to say her yet because she hasn't played quite enough. So I'd give that to Frida. If you ask me this time next year, I would say um, Hafaeli. I, I just think that that was a signing Arsenal had to do. And I think it was profile-wise pretty perfect for this team. But obviously she's only played two games so far. And, you know, trying not to be too biased with the Brazilian connection but I, d I do honestly think that that was a really really just a, a solid bit of business and and I'm actually um I'm actually really enthused that she said that Arsenal wanted her at the beginning of the season because we spoke about the signings in the summer and I think we kind of said why are all our centre-backs right-footed what's going on here and so it kind of it kind of gives me um yeah, it gives me encouragement that actually they, they had identified. They didn't like, Jonas didn't go six months into the season and go, yeah, maybe we need a left footer. Like he already knew and he waited for the player to arrive. So that, that kind of sets my mind at rest a little bit. So I, I think she's going to be important because I think she's going to start pretty much every game she's fit for. We've, we've got time for one last question, which Alex, if you don't mind, I'm going to answer because I think it will be the definitive answer. And, uh, as you know, Arsenal are away at Chelsea on Friday the 11th of February. Big game at Kings Meadow. And Joe McSassey, um, I really hope that's your real name, Joe, um, who is at Joe McSassey on Twitter. I'm going to my very first Arsenal women's game at Chelsea. Are there any chance I should familiarise myself with? Yes. Try um, Champions of Europe. You'll never sing that. That's that's a good one to try at Kings Meadow. That will, that will go down very, very well, particularly with the home fans. Um, that, that's going to be my accreditation for Chelsea away removed, I think. <laughs> but that's... Never again while you step foot in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after the Emma Hayes tweet as well. God, I'll probably get barred from the stadium. Um, let's not go into that. We haven't got time for that. <laughs> Alex, neither of the next two games on Sundays, actually, are you going to be able to get to the United or Chelsea games? Um, yeah, the Sunday is the first Sunday I have off, so I'm actually leaving. So I won't be at the United game, but I have cleared my schedule for the Chelsea game because there is no way that I'm missing that. Um, and I am bringing a bad luck charm. So we just hope that <laughs> that goes away somehow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we know who to blame if and when that game all goes wrong then. Um, Alex, as ever, thanks for your time and your insight. Yes, as ever. Always a pleasure. And thank you all for your questions. We couldn't even use half of them, which is just like really heartening, uh, quite frankly. Um, so thanks so much for all your questions. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Like I said, exclusive interview with Hafaeli Souza on the on the on the flight on the site at the moment. And obviously, we'll have uh, more podcasts coming in February. We'll do two podcasts. The February mailbag might might be a March job. Um, as well given that February is a shorter month but yeah we'll keep going with two podcasts a month and interviews and match previews and what Jonas says and analysis and everything like that so thanks very much for reading for listening thanks very much for your questions we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks take care goodbye
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 